everybody. How's it going? <laughs> cool. We're going to ask a very cool question today. Why did Jesus feed 5,000 people? Because <laughs> he wanted to show off. Danke, Mika. So this is a very cool question. Why does it say Amor Kennedy? Was inspired by Amor Kennedy. <laughs> I couldn't come up with a sermon, so I still almost anyway. <laughs> but I literally did steal his slides. Okay, anyway. So why did Jesus feed five thousand people? We're gonna we're gonna ask that question. We're we're carrying on with our Mark series. If you've been in church, you would know that we've been reading through Mark. We're taking three months to read through the Gospel of Mark. We started at the beginning of this month, and we are, we are looking at Mark specifically. Even though it's the shortest Gospel, we're looking at it because it's one of the oldest Gospels. Well, it is the oldest Gospel, not one of, it's only one of four. It is the oldest Gospel. And uh, in fact, there's enough evidence to suggest that Matthew and Luke used the Gospel of Mark as source material for their own gospel. So this, this gospel was written first, and uh, Mark was not a disciple, yet he followed Peter around, who was a disciple. So Mark is busy writing down what Peter is saying and the things that Peter saw. And Peter was there when Jesus fed 5,000 people. We're going to look at that today, but I just want to recap. So at first we looked at Jesus as the king. Then the first couple of chapters we see that Jesus arrives He's announced by the prophet Isaiah. He's announced by John the Baptist. And finally, there's this special verse in chapter 1 where all three persons of the Godhead pitch up in one verse and affirm the person of Jesus Christ. The heavens open up. The Holy Spirit descends as a dove onto the person of Jesus Christ. And a voice from heaven, Father God, cries out and says, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And we can rest assured that if all three people of the Godhead pitch up in one moment, this is an important moment, right? And that moment was to affirm and let us know that this person, Jesus, he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good person. He's not just a good prophet. He is the Son of God. He is God in flesh form, and we better take note, right? Pretty cool. Fantastic. Then we, then we read on, and we started to read about how God came to establish, Jesus came to establish a new kingdom. And this kingdom did not work like other kingdoms. This kingdom was a little bit upside down, okay? Where if you wanted to be first, you had to be lost. If you wanted to be the greatest, you had to be the least. The, what, what defined... What defined um, success was not power, was not money, was not your job status, was not your class, okay? What, find, what defined success was whether or not you could serve. And the lowest of these would be so. And in fact, so there's this really cool moment where John the Baptist sends a message to Jesus. He's in, he's in prison. And, uh, and Jesus affirms John the Baptist. He says, There's, there's been no one born of men greater than John the Baptist. Jesus says that this guy, John, apart from me, Jesus, apart from me, John is the greatest person ever born. 
Okay, imagine Jesus said that about you, okay? Probably not. Anyway. <laughs> you sinners. Anyway, so, so this is John the Baptist, right? Greatest person, affirmed, verified by Jesus. And Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, okay? Even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that cool? Even you sitting there having Jesus in your heart are greater than John the Baptist. Should we serve? Should we lower ourselves? So this is the, the new kingdom. So now we're going we're gonna to look at this new order that Jesus came to bring. And this order looks a little bit different, okay? So we're going to read some scripture. And today we're going to talk a lot about food. Who likes food? Yeah? Guess I made some lacquer pizza Friday night. I'm just saying. So you can open up your Bibles to Mark 6, verses 30. Here we're going to see Jesus is feeding 5,000 people. Mark 6. I'm going to go through this quickly, more just for the sake of time. But I really want to focus on Mark 7 and Mark 8. And then next week, so next week's very cool. I really encourage you guys to be here. Next week, we've got a guest speaker from Shofar Joburg, Henny Swart. He's also the dean of our Bible school. And he's going to be um, talking about the, the second half of chapter 8. Um, uh, so I really encourage you to be there. He's got an amazing gift of expositing the Word of God. Um, great. Mark. Mark comes just after Matthew. Matthew 6 comes just after Matthew 5. Mark 6, sorry. Yes, I messed that one up. Okay, let's read. Mark 6, verse 30 to 44. So Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them. Say compassion. Compassion. You guys are way better than the morning service. Okay. Uh, now I lost my place. Sorry? Yeah, I know. That's what I said. Pay attention, Abby. Okay. We're going to move you down to the end of the table. Okay. He <laughs> had compassion. <laughs> Say compassion. <laughs> when he went to shore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. No kidding. Thank you. For the obvious disciples. And the hour is now late. Send them away to, to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Okay? Say, so you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Great. <laughs> it's going to be a good night. Okay. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? And give it to them to eat. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fishes. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided to the, the two fish among them all. Okay, I want you to take note. Who is breaking the bread here? <laughs> 
Jesus breaking the bread, okay? What is the command? You go feed them. Okay, now just take note. This is Jesus. A couple of chapters before this, he just said, man will not live on bread alone. Okay, and now he's feeding people. Jesus, make up your mind. Do we eat bread or do we not eat bread? What is Jesus doing here? Okay, but here's the cool part. Okay, so now he's breaking the bread. We can, I want you to take special notice of this because it's going to get interesting just a bit later. Hopefully it's interesting now as well. <laughs> he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to sit before the people and he divided two fish among them all. <laughs> greatest fish fry ever. And they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces out of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Okay, so five loaves, two fishes feed 5,000 people. Clearly, Jesus wasn't good at maths, but he made it work for himself. Okay, and things happened. There was a clear miracle and he gave thanks to God. Okay, his command to them was, you go feed the people. They don't know how to feed people. We don't know how to do it. What are we doing? Okay. Jesus. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. You've never done this before. It's fine. I'll do it. Okay. And he starts, he grabs five loaves, two fishes, and he starts to break bread. Starts to divide the fish amongst people. Everybody's happy. There is a, there's a spiritual need there. I need you to take note that Jesus is ministering to spiritual. These people are running. These guys, I mean, Jesus tried to get away from these people, and he went to the other side of a lake, and they're following him. There's a clear need for spiritual impartation, right? And Jesus sees and meets the spiritual need, but he has compassion on them at the same time. And having compassion on them, he meets a physical need as well. Isn't that cool? Okay, keep this in your back of your head. Let's move on. Mark 7, verses 9 to 15. Mark 7 comes after Mark 6. In case you're looking for it. Great. So, I don't want to read this whole thing. I want you to, when you go home you, in your own personal quiet time, I want, you, I want you to read Mark 7 from verse 1. If you don't have a reading plan, where's the church? We're reading. We've got a reading plan. There's a bookmark that you can get at the info table after church. So, we're on chapter 7 this, this week. And, um, but in, so, in chapter 7, chapter 7 starts with the Pharisees having an issue with Jesus' disciple. And they come to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, your disciples, they're great and all, but you see they're eating food and they haven't washed their hands. Okay? And we think that's bad. You know, not very clean. You know, and you go eat at Spur and they don't wash their hands and you're like, look a little bit dodge at your friend, but you still love him, right? <laughs> Won't mention name for Gary's sake. Anyway. <laughs> Lots of people being moved down the table. No, I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 Jesus, so Jesus got a problem with this, you see, because for them, it wasn't just a matter of good culture. For them, it was actually the law. It was part of their law that you had to wash before eating. In fact, you had to wash before doing a lot. You had to wash before going in the temple. You had to wash your feet before going to bed. You had to wash before you ate your food. But for them, it wasn't just culturally acceptable. It was actually part of the law. Okay, and if you did not wash your hands before you ate, or your body before you ate, you were considered to be ceremonially unclean, right? So that means that just by not washing your hands before you eat, you couldn't even go into the temple to give sacrifices 
for the things that you had done wrong. Okay, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't ask God for forgiveness for the sins that you've committed just because you didn't wash your hands before you ate. Think about that next time your mother complains. Okay, so, and Jesus got a problem with this because he knows in his heart of heart that, that there are ten commandments, and because of the, the Pharisees' tradition, they've put in so many rules just for people to live by, and some of them prevent people from living according to the commandments of God. Okay, so let's listen to, to Jesus' response in Mark 7, verses 9. Okay, and he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person, including pizza, that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Okay? So what's the problem that Jesus is presenting? He says, says, Pharisees, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Okay? You know that the commandments say that we must honor our father and our mother. And that thing, that provision that God has given you, has given them to honor their father and mother, you've claimed for God. And so you put people in, in a position where they either honor God or they honor their parents, but they can't do both and they have to choose. And they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Okay? So I'm talking about, let's put this in our context. Let's get really real here, okay? We all agree abortion is bad, okay? Killing babies is bad, yes? Okay? From the pit of hell, not good, okay? How many of us are willing to adopt a baby? Okay, great. It's good to see some hands. You see, we want to, we want to point out the problems. Rikas, you're a problem. But do I offer a solution to Rikas? See, I have a value that... You're not pregnant, are you? Okay, it's okay. <laughs> I can see the cogs turning in their heads. Very transparent. Okay. See, I have a value that life is important and yet, what the Pharisees are doing is that I've got this value, but I want you to pay the price for it. You see, a value, by definition, is something that you value. And something that you value is something that you're willing to pay a price for. Right? Okay? The, the, the car that I have, I value because I paid a price for it. <laughs> do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? I value life. See, we, we want to start debates about pro-choice, pro-life. Great, great, great. But we as a church, we've put young women in a position where the only choice they have is between killing a baby or some semblance of life themselves. Whose fault is that? It's not their fault. That's our fault. We as a church have told them to sacrifice for values that the church holds dear. I don't want you to get any misconceptions. Abortion is wrong. Okay? 
I'm not saying anything otherwise. But I, I want to pay the price for it. You understand what I'm saying? Or what typically else happens is you get a young couple, they're dating, and they're living together, okay? And when you, when you, when you talk to them and things come out, you, you, you start to understand that the reason why they're living together is because they can't afford two rents. Life is expensive. Life is hard. Okay? And what I'll do with them, I've done this a few times, I'll say to them, here's, here's the thing, okay? I value purity before marriage. I value it. So here's the deal I'm willing to, to make. One of you comes and stays with me rent-free. Okay? And then you guys can pay for your rent. You see, purity is something that I value. It's something that I want to pay a price for. You understand what I'm saying? And I want to model that to the people that I'm discipling. But you see, we model blame shifting. That's what we, re- we, called, we call it discipleship, but we re- what we're really doing is we're passing the buck. Well, you know, you're stuck in a township, so you go get your own job. Uh, you know, you got pregnant before you married. It's your problem. Right? Does that sound like Jesus? What does Jesus do? He has compassion on people that have physical needs. And he teaches his disciples. He says, why are you coming to me? You go feed them. You go adopt those babies. You offer up your house if you value purity. And he shows them how to do it. Okay. Let's move on. We're going to read Mark 8, verses 1 to 10. I want you to, now we're going to read Mark 1, uh, 8, verses 1 to 10. And I want you to look at who's breaking the bread this time around. Okay? It's going to get cool. You ready for this? In those days, uh, and the other thing to take note, so the first, the first lot of people, the 5,000 people, are Jewish people. These people are Gentile people. Also, just something to take note. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. Say compassion. Great. Because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Jesus must have done a lot of eye rolling. Didn't we just do this two chapters before? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to these disciples to set before the people, and they set, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to them that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Balmanutha. I don't know how to pronounce it. Okay. So when we in ministry, we typically have two traps that we can fall into. We in ministry, okay? The one trap is we become focused on someone's spiritual well-being and neglect their physical needs, okay? James 2 verse 16, James condemns this. says, how can we preach the gospel and yet people go hungry, okay? Practical. And then the second trap is the reverse. 
Sometimes we become so focused on people's physical needs that they that we neglect their, their spiritual well-being. Okay? Matthew 16 verse 26 says, What does it profit a man that they gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? See, this new order that Jesus came to establish is based on this one principle, that you will love the Lord your God with all your mind, body, and soul. And we tend to fall into two traps. That we teach people to worship. We teach, the, we teach them how to do miracles and healings and prophesy. And yet there's people among us who go hungry. Can we say that we have compassion on them? There are people that are stuck in sin because they can't afford two rentals. Can we say that we have compassion on them? There are women who are stuck with children because they never had the knowledge, they never had, were discipled to wait until marriage. Can we say that we have compassion on them? Right? The reverse is also true. Sometimes we want to be people's Messiah. And we want to feed them. And we want to go into the townships. We want to feed people and it gets really good. And we feel great and we pat ourselves on the back and and it's easy to feel good with yourselves, and yet never once do we preach the gospel. Never once do we share the love of Jesus. And they've got, they've got something in their stomachs, but they're going to hell. Can we say that we have compassion? Can we say that we love them? Right? Sometimes it's easier for us to give somebody food than to teach them to pray to Jehovah Jireh, God their provider. You know, there's that saying, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to pray, he'll probably never go hungry again. Amen. <laughs> Let's go to the next slide. Uh, oh, no, wait, stay here. So, uh, next, yeah, yeah, there we go. So Jesus came in to bring a new order, and most likely the original order, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, okay? And it's based on a very, very simple principle, the one that I just read. You see, I've got a son. He's very cute. He's three years old. His name is Oliver. And I'm thinking about um, provision for my son. So I'm already starting to think about the fact that, you know, He's going to turn 18 one day, and he's going to go to university. University costs, costs a lot of money. I'm saving now. I'm making plans so that I can put him through university. I make sure that he's got three square meals a day, even if he doesn't want to eat them. Hashtag toddlers. And um, <laughs> some of us are like toddlers. Anyway, I'm moving on. And, uh, you know, I, there's, there's a physical need then I'm trying to meet with my child immediately and in the future, practically, okay, and emotionally. But I am a bad father if I do not first and foremost believe that my son is called for this generation, for his generation, not this generation, he's three years old, but his generation, okay? One day my son is going to grow up, and I don't want to treat my son like he's this He's this glass thing that's going to shatter and break and 
oh, if he watches TV once, he's going to be defiled for the rest of his life. No, I believe my son is going to kick butt. Okay? I believe my son is going to take over the world. That he's going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ and will affect change that will touch this world. I'm starting to think now, how do I equip my son spiritually, not just physically? I see, I want my son to succeed in the natural, okay? I want him to, to study hard. I want him to get a good degree. I want him to have that kind of influence. But you see, that influence means nothing if I don't prepare my son spiritually. Are you with me? Okay. Because here's the thing. Next slide. See, I'm not just in ministry. You guys are all in ministry. Okay. You are in ministry in your homes, with your parents, with your kids, with your brother, with your sister, in your workplace, in school, in your class. And um, you all tend to fall into one of those two traps. Can you guess what they are? We'll just discuss them, okay? You see, you guys, there are people right next to you. And some of us, we, it's so easy for us to invite people for a bride and we want to care and Alice is lacquer. And yet God has called us to bring healing, to set the captives free, right? Hey, Amul, thanks for coming to my bride, but is there something I can pray for? What's going on in your life? I don't just want to meet a physical need. There's a spiritual need. But, and some of us, some of us, we're really good at praying. But we tend to over-spiritualize everything, right? And there are practical things that, things that need to happen. Okay? It doesn't matter how spiritual you get. If you're not in a relationship, don't hand out relationship advice. It's practical. Everybody says amen. Great. <laughs> All the guilty are laughing. Anyway. <laughs> okay. It's, it doesn't matter how spiritual we get. Okay. If we're not willing to feed people, don't claim to have the compassion of God in your life. Okay. If you don't claim to be so spiritually impure and holy and better than everybody else. Okay, if you're not willing to make yourself even more undignified than this, don't claim to know the Spirit of God. Thank you, Yodia. Moving up the table. Are you with me? Okay. We can't see this order that Jesus came to bring is, is one where he's establishing a kingdom that will last for eternity. And yet he has compassion to meet an immediate physical need. Because the problem is, you see, my, my son, I want to teach him spiritual things, but see, the th only thing that my son really understands is pizza, Paw Patrol. <laughs> Karaki. Jungle Jim. His best friend, Riley. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James can have a conversation with him later. Riley is James's daughter, by the way. These are the only things my, my son understands. And you see, we, we're going to meet people that don't know Jesus, 
And there's only things, there are only certain things that they understand. They understand, I've got to get a job. I've got to pay my rent. And sometimes I only in with these people is to meet a physical need. Jesus understood this. I can't preach the gospel. I can't share the good news of a kingdom that's far off. I don't, I can't touch this. I can't feel it. I can't see it. But what Jesus did see right there and then was, I can, I can address people's immediate need. They can eat. They can be healed. The demons can be cast out. The captives have been set free. Isn't this beautiful? Yeah. And so, if we're going to emulate Jesus, it's a pretty good idea that we want to emulate Jesus. Amen? I mean, we've got to get to the point where I want to pick up the cross. What happens when you pick up a cross? You die. Okay? Not we pick up the cross and somebody else dies. You die. You're going to pay the price. And Jesus is looking for some. He's looking for people to follow, follow him that say, if it means that I need to lay down my life, the things that I value, okay, so that somebody else might have an encounter with Jesus, am I willing to pay that price? Am I willing to pick up that cross? See, me and my wife, we've got, we've got this really nice home. It was, a, it was a gift, a ministry gift, and, you know, we get, we get very comfortable in this home. Life's great. We get our own private time. I don't have to worry about rent. It's fantastic. Got four bedrooms in this house. I've got two kids, and so I start to do the maths, okay? But you see, my wife and I, we, we, we like our alone time. We, we really like it, and, and it's me time, you know? And who, who likes their me time there alone, you know? We love people, but then it's time for the people to go away, right? I love you all, but 8 o'clock church ends, and then, uh, you know, like, it's been good. It's been real. Worship was great. <laughs> Mostly Rickers. Anyway, so, <laughs> so people are just taking shots. I'm sorry. I do have compassion for you guys, okay? I promise. So, so here's, here's the thing, okay? So I can, I can sit in my home and be comfortable, okay? But you see, I, I really do care about the fact that there are kids without, without parents, okay? <sighs> I, I really, really, really. And so my wife and I are thinking, what are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to sacrifice a little bit of uncomfort? See, there's such a huge need for fostering in this town. There are so many children without parents, okay? And it's easy for me to say, well, you sacrifice. But it's a value that I hold. What am I willing to pay? Are you with me? See, I, I believe that this church is going to be going into a season where we will affect such change in George that we, we will not have foster kids or orphans in this town, Okay? I believe that God is moving us to that point, okay? And we've been praying with Francois and Lindy a little bit on the side. But I believe that's where we're going. See, we, we can't claim to value the children in this town until we're willing to make sacrifices. Are you willing? Are you willing to walk this road with us? So 
Many of you don't have a home, that's okay. But it's something that I want you to start praying about. See, we can't claim to be anti-abortion if we were not pro-adoption. We can't claim to be pro-purity if we're not pro-let a stranger, random weirdo in my house. Right? Turn, turn to the person next to you and say, you're a weirdo, but you're welcome in my house. Okay. <laughs> Great. Okay, so the <laughs> yeah. That's Rick has said that's why I invited his sister to come stay with him. <laughs> I had supper with her Friday night. She is a bit of a weirdo. Anyway. I must tell you, Renee, I'm gonna rip you off here. I'm sorry. But this was hilarious. So we, we're having this lacquer talk on a, on a Friday night, going well, we're eating some lacquer pizza, and then all of a sudden it goes, and, and Renee's told me now she's an introvert, and God bless introverts, I married one of them, they're very special people, okay? And it, and it goes quiet for a second, okay? And uh, I, I'm an extrovert, I thrive in awkward scenarios, introverts do not. So all of a sudden, she, it goes quiet, and she looks at me, and she goes, Hey, look, if you look at my hands, the pinkies don't touch my fingers. I'm like. <laughs> Weirdo. Okay. But you're welcome in my home. <laughs> okay, the ushers can start handing out the communion. So here's a really cool thing about communion. Communion is food. Who of you picked that up? Communion's food, right? And I really encourage you to do this with your, with your friends or with your family. Next time you've got a braai or something, do communion around food, okay? Because this is the way that Jesus did it. We do it in Encounter 2 as well. We share a meal and we do communion together. See, there's a really specific reason why Jesus does this. He's, he's, Jesus is the master of symbolism, of, of metaphors. And what he does is, is he takes this metaphor of a table, which if you read through scriptures, it's, it's, it, goes, it goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You read about the table. And the table is a, is a symbol of God's provision to us. And so when, when Jesus does communion, around the table, what he's, what he's saying is that I am the pinnacle and the ultimate form of God's provision for you. Isn't that beautiful? And he shares a meal. He doesn't, he doesn't go to, to pick and pay and buy some salty cracks or take some grape juice. Right by the meal, the bread that they were eating, he takes. The wine that they were drinking, he takes. And it's around this shared meal, this, this physical need that they are meeting, that Jesus institutes one of the most spiritually deep, meaningful things that we practice still to today. That Jesus came and is the ultimate form of our physical needs, of our bodily needs. He's the ultimate form of our mindful needs. 
and He is the ultimate form and provision of our spiritual needs. Isn't that beautiful? James, could you could you play that? You know what song I'm talking about. I don't, we didn't plan this, but I think I think that's definitely the song of the night. Let's all stand together. We're going to do communion together. So, when you take the cracker in your hand, and we eat this today, and it represents the body of God. It's not just the body of God that, that was broken for us. It's the body of God that was provided for us. It's the daily bread that Jesus refers to. It's our sustenance. This is the thing that keeps us going, is that which Jesus died for us, paid the price for us. That we are no longer bound in our sin and trespasses, but we can have life and life in abundance. Because you see, we were supposed to be on that cross. And yet Jesus swapped places with us and took our place on the cross. And they broke his body for us. Perfect, whole, complete. They broke him for us. And today we remember the price that Jesus paid. Let's eat together. There's a little thing of grape juice and it represents the blood of Jesus. And um, Jesus makes this interesting statement. He says that this is my blood that is poured out for you. And he's referring to a, a drink offering which Abraham instituted in the, in the Old Testament. And what Abraham would do is he, he'd build up a, an altar made of stone. And before he started to make sacrifices on this altar, he'd put together this drink and it was made of mead and various other different things. And he'd pour it around this altar and in the act, he would consecrate this altar for the working of God, for, this, for the sacrifices that would be made. And so when Jesus comes, he says, this is my blood poured out for, for you. He's referring to this drink offering. His blood is a drink offering for us. What does a drink offering do? What does the blood of Jesus do? It cleanses us. It purifies us. By his blood are we made whole and new. But you see, we're made whole and new for a purpose that we might also present ourselves upon an altar, pure and clean before God, ready for our own sacrifices, ready to lay down our own lives for the people around us. And so when we drink, we remember that, and we commit to that. Thank you, Jesus, for washing me clean. Help me to join part in this ministry of reconciliation. Let's, let's drink together. Let's pray. Father, forgive us where, where we've claimed to hold beliefs and yet we don't really make the sacrifices for it. Convict us, Father, where we've made claims that 
that certain things are important and yet we're expecting other people to pay the price. We claim that having a relationship with our parents is important, yet we, we want them to pay the price for it and we're not willing to pay the price for it. We claim that reaching the lost and the saved is important and yet we're expecting other people to do it for us. We claim that the, the sanctity of life is important and yet we are expecting other people to foster and adopt the children around us. We claim that purity is important and, and yet we are, we are expecting other people who don't have the physical and the, the financial means to sacrifice for it. Father, tonight we pray a simple prayer. Help us to pick up our own cross so that we may follow you. Willing to make sacrifices for the things that you paid the price for and counted so dear. I want everybody to keep their eyes closed and every head bowed. Maybe what I've said today is, has impacted you. That, there's, that you know that there's something that you hold of value. And that you haven't paid the price for it. Maybe it's something as simple as you hold, dear, you hold of value, of high value, the word of God. Yet you know you haven't been making the time in the day to read it. Maybe it's that you know that you value prayer, but you aren't committing to it. Maybe it's something big, like I've said, that there's a relationship that needs to be restored in your life. I feel specifically in this room that there are relationships with fathers that need to be restored, and yet we're expecting our father to make a sacrifice for a relationship that we value and not willing to do so ourselves. Maybe God has laid on your heart that maybe you want to foster or adopt a child. And if that's you tonight, nobody's looking around. I just want you to, to put your hand up high in the air. God, I want to start sacrificing for the things that you value. See, the, the beautiful part is that we don't have the strength. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the ability to do this on our own. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus calls us to live a life that is holy. And he paid the price for us to live holy lives. And tonight, all we're saying is, Jesus, I want to be holy. If that's you, just put your hand up in the air. We're going we're gonna to sing this song again.
We sing the chorus and the bridge. We're going to invite Jesus. We're going to break bread with him. We're going to commune with God. And we're going to welcome him into the space because we want to see him move. And then this dream that is on your heart, this thing that's on your heart that's been exposed today, if I can ask some of the leaders to come up to the front. If there's this desire in your heart and you know that God is moving me in this direction, he's moving me to this place, I want you to come pray with some of the leaders up front. And we're going to anoint you and we're going to commission you for this thing. It's going to cost you something. You don't value it if there is no cost. Are you with me? Let's worship together.